for much, but they're known for waiting. And waiting, as most of you know, who have been through seasons of waiting, is not glamorous. The example, though, that we find in Simeon and Anna is that when we pay, when we pay close attention to them, we find things about them that can help us in our seasons of waiting. There's three postures that we can find there. The three postures are these two people listened, they were present, and they were expecting. And so as we look at the text today, I want us to look at those three postures. Now here's what's going on. The the Holy Family, or Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, are walking into the temple. This was a normal thing to do. Uh, It was about 41 days after Jesus was born. The reason we know this is because Mary is going into the temple, and according to Leviticus law, Leviticus 12, it all goes back to Leviticus, it is wonderful. In Leviticus 12, it says that Mary would not have been allowed to go because of childbirth until about 40, 41 days. Leviticus 12 would say that. And so now she's walking into the temple. They're going to present the sacrifice for for Mary after childbirth, pigeons or doves. Jesus has already gone through the eighth day ritual of being circumcised, and now they're back, and it's been about six weeks. And so they're walking into the temple. This was a normal day for them. This is what every Jewish family would have done after there was a birth. Go into the temple, offer these, and then you can get back on with the way life went. And so, but this day, even though it was normal, was one of the most important days to Simeon and Anna that we'll ever see. It's weird how those happened. Sometimes it's the most normal of days where the most amazing things take place. But oftentimes, if you're not paying attention, even on the normal, boring, humdrum day, we miss things. The first thing we notice is what Simeon said. His first posture that we see is in Simeon. And the first posture is he was listening. Look in verse 27 again. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. It's an interesting phrase that Luke says here. He was moved by the Spirit. It gets me wondering what else he was going to do that day. He was told by the Spirit, God spoke to him and said, go to the temple. Was he doing his yard? Was he working in the garage with his neighbors? What was he doing? He was not in the temple when the Lord spoke to him. But the Lord, and through the Spirit, spoke to him, and then he says, I need you to go to church. I need you to get to the temple. I don't know if I would have done what Simeon did. If I'm playing golf and I'm on hole eight and I get the sensation that I need to go to church, I go, cool, I'll be right there. Give me another two hours maybe. I wouldn't drop everything. I wouldn't stay. If I'm in the yard playing with the boys, I I work for a church and yet I probably wouldn't have the same obedience as Simeon had. Go Go to the temple. But Simeon is different than us. He goes to the temple we don't, know what, we don't know what Simeon did. We don't know the prompting that pushed him over the edge. We don't know if it was, had this thought, and then his neighbor said something as they were repairing their, their chariot or whatever they had, had the thought, and then maybe his wife confirmed like, hey, sweetie, I think you should go to church. Maybe he dropped something and he cursed, and then it's like, you need to go repent. Maybe it was something like that. But what we do know is that this wasn't the first time that Simeon was listening to God. It says before in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So this was the second time God had spoken to him. The first time 
God says, you're going to live until you see the Messiah. That's a big revelation. And to be listening to God after that would be just suspense. We all want to know when we're going to die. Simeon knew. I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. And then he waited. Not only did he wait and he heard, he waited and he kept listening. For Simeon, this probably changed the way he lived. He was constantly waiting for Messiah. He was living in expectation of the salvation of Israel. He was waiting for the time on his tiptoes, wide eyes, watching for what had been promised to him. But did you see what got him to the point? First, what got him to that point was we have to be listening to what God says. Most of the time in our waiting, we stop listening. God gives us a promise. He tells us something and then we think, cool, I'll just wait. And then we turn off our ears. The first time, allowed, the first time Simeon heard God allowed him to be ready for the second time Simeon was going to hear God. The Spirit told him years ago to watch and listen and then he heard the Spirit again. I meet many people, I get to meet many people who tell me about what they're waiting for. And God has called them to a specific place or to something, and now they're just waiting on God's timing, which is a great place to be. It's a frustrating place to be, but it's a good place to be. But here's what happens, and I fall into this too. We hear the call, and all of a sudden we stop, for further, we stop listening for further instructions. It's as though our attention shifts onto other things. Our attention spans as a culture are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. There was a study that we were talking about this week that the generation after the millennials, what are they called? Do we know yet? Z, attention span of around 13 seconds. When I was in college, we were doing communication studies and we're looking at attention spans, 24 to 26 minutes about the size of a sitcom, right? That's when Seinfeld was big, and that's, that's as much as we can get. MTV did a study later, 16 minutes. ESPN, if you watch how they loop things, you can even see it on the news cycles. It, it, it was about six, every six minutes you see something flash to regain your attention. Now it's gone to 13 seconds. Can you imagine Simeon? Years ago, maybe. You won't die but I want you to be listening because when you see the Lord's Messiah, you're going to die. It'll fulfill you. This will be the, your life's achievement. This is what you're waiting for. And then years go by. Talk about an attention span. We can barely focus long enough to, hey, look, something shiny. That's how our attention span goes. We hear something and then we forget. Simeon waited. Not only did he wait, he waited well and he kept listening. It says in the scripture that he looked for the consolation of Israel. The word looked is where we get waited. And he waited long. You know, Greek is an amazing language and there's tons of words to describe look. Sometimes verbs come out that mean to look. Other verbs come out that mean to look up. Another which means to look away. And another one means to look upon. And another one means to look in. The word that's used to define what Simeon was doing is, to, is a combination of two words. It means to look for the coming. The Greek word is prostekomai. I know you want to say it. Prostekomai, you people. Thank you, Tony. Next time, we'll get you there. It means this. It, the first one means, or dekomai, means to wait. 
Pros means to wait or to, to look forward. Pro decamai, pros decamai. You combine them together and it's waiting forwardly. It's a terrible grammar, but it's a great picture. To wait forwardly. He was waiting. He was waiting for God to speak again. He was patient, but he was vigilant. He was calmly expectant. His eyes were peeled. His ears were to the ground. He was waiting for God to say another word for him. And that day, he got the word, and he goes to the temple, and you better believe he was scanning every single face. I really doubt that Jesus was the only boy in the temple that day. But he's scanning every single face, wondering, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? He's listening again because he wants to see it. As many of us are waiting to hear from God, God is, we're waiting for God to make his move. I wonder if we have the ability to wait like this, looking forward, waiting forwardly. Or have we lost our focus? Has our attention shifted to something else? There were four of us kids growing up. There was my sister, she's the oldest, she's, she's old. And then there's my two brothers, and then there's me. I'm the final draft, I'm it. And so uh, as we were waiting, as we were, all getting to, as we were all getting ready to go to church or dinner or someplace, we had this ritual. We'd get ready, and then we'd go down and we'd sit on the couch, and our shoes were on, we had to be 100% ready, and we would say, ready and waiting, really loud in the house. All of us boys would be sitting there and then we were waiting for my sister. Of course, ready and waiting. And she would blame us for taking too long in the bathroom. But this is what prostecomai means. Ready and waiting. I'm listening. I'm ready to go. My shoes are laced up. My stuff's ready. I'm prepared. The word is also used here in Luke 12. It says in Luke 12, 35, be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return to it from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching for when he comes. Look at the servants' posture here in this text. What are they doing? Ready and waiting. Prostecomai. They're looking forward for the master to come. Good things happen when we are ready and waiting. This is what Simeon is. He's ready and waiting. Not only had he listened, he's listening. And our posture when we're waiting for God to move is to keep listening. The second posture is to be present. The greatest challenge to being able to wait forwardly is our ability to be present in the moment. Our lives are filled with distraction after distractions that remove us from the place where we are and take us to another place where we're concentrating on. What does that most? Our phones. Have you ever sat in a waiting room and not looked at your phone? Everybody's on your phone. I challenge you, next time, sit in the waiting room and don't look on the phone, don't do anything and watch all the weird looks you get. They're gonna, people are like, what is wrong with this person? They're just sitting there waiting, present. Our phones distract us. Our iPads distract us. My watch will distract me. There's things that take us out of the moment and cause our mind to go to someplace else and take us from being present. Being present requires a discipline to have your mind available to what God wants to say whenever God wants to say it. When we wait, 
Sometimes we become so impatient that we start doing other things and our lives get so focused on the not yet of life and what we're waiting for that we lose track of the right now in life. We're so much thinking about the future that we forget about the present. And everyone goes through the seasons of waiting. I remember when Carrie and I were going through our season, and there have been multiple seasons of waiting. It's not just, okay, this is your season of waiting, and now you're, no, you wait, then you go, then you wait again. Our life seems to be that one of waiting. One of our seasons of waiting, it was particularly long, number of years. And we did something that I, I regret, and I know she does too. We weren't present in those, that, that, that time. We knew that God was calling us. We knew that there was something coming. But what we did is we lost track of the here and now. And what we missed out on were people in our lives. What we missed out on was the lessons that God was teaching us during those times. And then we get to this, the part that we were waiting for and we look back and go, wow, we might have missed a whole lot of things that would have made waiting a whole lot easier but we were so focused on the not yet that we lost track of the right now. What I learned from my season of waiting is that waiting and hope for our future doesn't give us permission to live irresponsibly in the present. You can wait, but we also need to be aware of what God is doing. Look at the way Simeon and Anna waited. They didn't put their lives on hold for the sake of the not yet. They lived and they worshiped and they pursued. One of the most important things to observe when we study scripture is where the scripture takes place. Where are the people in the story? Where are their feet planted when the story is told about them? When we look here, where are they? They're in the temple. I like you. You talk. This is great. And you sit there every week and just... Okay, no. Okay. Uh, their feet are in the temple. This is, where they, this is where they were planted. So were they present? Absolutely, they were present inside the temple. Simeon was led by the Spirit to go there. But Anna, Anna was already there. Look at what it says in, th- in verse 36. There was a prophet named Anna, daughter of Penuel, tribe of Asher. She was very old, she had, which is not a good way to describe somebody. She had lived with her husband for seven years after marriage, and then she was a widow f- uh, then until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming to them at the very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child. There's a couple of observations here to make real quick. Uh, she's a woman. She's a prophet. She's at home in the temple. This is where she's comfortable. This is her home. Anna held the position in the temple where she conveyed God's hope to people who were there. She's a woman. When God call, women are called by God, women are used by God, women are gifted by God, God's call and God's ability that he gives you is not dependent on your gender. She's an older woman. Scholars like to debate she's between 84 and just over 100 years old. God's call is not dependent on your age. She's widowed probably for 60 or so years. And she was at the temple every time the door was open. God's call is not dependent on your marital status. There's a bunch of things that we can send here, but here is what's dependent here. Anna was at the temple every day. God's call is often dependent on if you're present with him or not. Waiting on God requires us to be present with God in our waiting. 
She decided that day that she didn't want a chance missing out on what God had for her. So she just lived at the temple. Every time the door was open, she was there. Because in each one of our seasons, wait in waiting, the temptation is to get distracted by the waiting and lose sight of what we're waiting for. She never lost sight. She was waiting for it. Simeon and Anna never lost sight. They were waiting for, in patient hope, the arrival of the Messiah. They were living in a world of longing and suffering and waiting. That had become their way of life. But their hope for the future didn't affect how they lived their life in the present. In fact, it only enhanced it. And instead of their allowing their hearts to become more and more cynical and distant from God, their waiting drew them towards God. It caused them to pay more attention to what God was doing. Now, it's not a guilt trip here that every one of us need to pop up a tent in somewhere in here. This is our temple. This is where to live. It's not a guilt trip to be coming to church every Sunday, though that is a good thing. But here's the guilt trip. Be present with God every day. Check in. Listen. In your waiting, it becomes very easy to get frustrated and never pay attention to what God is doing around you. But if there's a constant check-in, maybe it's three or four times a day. God, what are you doing in this minute? Jesus, what are you telling me in this moment? Are you speaking to me? Am I listening? There is a constant check-in. Coming to church helps. But being present with God in your community, with your gathering, with your friends, in the church body, that is being present with God. Here's what I think of when I think of being present. Uh, I think of my parents. We had this dog named Tug, T-U-G. Tugger, but Tug. Tug got his name because when he was a puppy, all he wanted to play was tug of war. Brilliant name. And so, one, but here was, here was what my dad did. He would take the ball, and he, Tug was a black lab retriever. This is what lab retrievers were built for, I think, chasing things down and bringing them back. And so my dad would sit on the patio after dinner, and he would hold the ball, just like this. And, and, and when he got tired of throwing, he had one of those sticks that had the ball. That's the lazy person's way, I guess. And so he sat there, and he would say, Tugger, back. Tugger would back up. Tugger, back. And he'd back up even more. Tug's eyes never left the ball. And he'd, he'd be head down, tail up, wagging, barking, yelling, I want that ball. And, this is, and he'd get mad, and he'd run back, and Dad would pull the ball back. Tugger, back. Back. Back and he'd get about five, ten feet away, and then dad would just chuck the ball. As soon as that ball left dad's hand, he was gone. Tugger was present, wasn't he? In that very moment, he was like, All I can see is this ball, and I'm waiting for you, Dale, to throw that ball, and as soon as you throw it, I'm gone. We tried other things. Tugger would be doing his little dance, barking and yelping, and I'd go, Tug, Tug, and he'd look at me and go, Yeah, yeah, not right now. I got a ball. He knew what was going on around him, but his eyes were laser focused on what this ball was doing and when he could actually start chasing it. And as soon as that ball was gone, Tugger was halfway there. Sometimes he outran it and had to come back. Sometimes we'd fake him out and then he'd jump on us. All that fun stuff. But being present in the moment being present with God. God, I have a life to live. I'm not irresponsible in my life now. I have a life to live, and I, but I am waiting for you to move. I am present. We have an eye looking for the movement of God in any way he decides to move. We listen. We're present. And the last one is we expect. Waiting 
is one thing, but remaining expectant is the other. The longer we wait, the less expectant we become. Why? Because it seems like we'll be waiting forever. The longer we wait, the less hope we have, the less energy we have to imagine any kind of different outcome. Our patience turns into complacence. We've grown content. We, we don't reach anymore. We don't hope anymore. We never run to the temple because we're afraid we're going to get disappointed. We seldom, if ever, allow the Holy Spirit to interrupt our lives and lead us to worship so that we might see Jesus. Many of us are great at waiting. We're great at having patience on God, but the reality is that that becomes our problem. Waiting becomes our problem. We've become so good at waiting that we've stopped expecting. The longer we wait, the less and less we expect. Perhaps you've prayed and you've prayed and nothing has happened. Perhaps you've hoped and still nothing. Perhaps you've gotten so tired of waiting that you've taken matters into your own hands and started forcing your way through. And then you get to the end of that and you realize that you're more disappointed than you were when you were waiting. Waiting and being expectant is hard to do. Perhaps you've been sitting in God's waiting room for so long that you forgot what you're even waiting for in the first place. The other day I was on hold with a doctor's office and I didn't think anything of it. I called, there was on speakerphone, I set it on my desk, I started doing other things. And the music was interesting. It wasn't the normal hold music, it was actually, ah, I like this. And so I stuck it up by my computer and just started going. I was on hold for like 20 minutes, I had no idea. I stopped paying attention. I stopped expecting. And all of a sudden, my phone starts making noise. Hello? They thought I hung up. Uh, Oh, oh, hey. Who'd I call? (laughs) Oh. Yeah. I'm still on hold. (laughs) They were surprised. I was surprised. I stopped expecting them to pick up the phone. When we wait for so long, we stop expecting. Perhaps you're, you've been waiting so long that, you're pa- that you've been so patient for so long, you're now on autopilot. Throughout scripture, we see pictures and images of people waiting and waiting and waiting. But what happens with those people that wait is they don't lose focus on what God has them waiting for. Waiting is a criteria, I believe, for everyone who has been called by God. No one in scripture gets called and then doesn't have to wait for very long. Abraham is what I think of, who I think of right now. Called by God. You're, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a bunch of kids. They're going to outnumber the stars. Abraham, for his life, waited on God. I imagine him walking outside of his tent, probably nightly, looking up at the stars and going, more than them? Okay, I'm going to trust in this. Abraham was expectant. That's why it says later, both in Romans and in Hebrews, that he had faith to keep waiting. He was expecting God to move faith when everything else seems to talk against you that it's not going to happen. Abraham had faith and it was rewarded to him as righteousness. Faith. Simeon and Anna remind us that we need to be patiently vigilant but not so patient that we lose our vigilance and not so vigilant that we lose our patience. Not to run ahead and not to forget. The book of James talks about being patient in the middle of our suffering. James draws our attention to the result of waiting. 
He says, uh, it says that in our waiting, we are to have patience. We're not to panic. We're not to overreact. We're not to turn a problem into our crisis. Being patient in our trials, we wait. Here's what it says in James 1.4. And let perseverance finish the work so that you may become mature and complete and lacking nothing. This is what patience does for us. Imagine your life is like a house. Faith is what happens when you look out the window, you look away from yourself, and you start expecting God to come walking in at any time. This God who is much greater than you or I. Patience is what's happening inside of the house when we do just that. Because when there is nothing on earth that can satisfy our deepest longings besides the one who created that longing inside of us, we long to see God The leaves of our lives, this is a quote I heard, I don't know who said it. The leaves of our lives are rustling with the rumor that God will. And we won't be satisfied until he does. This is what waiting well means. And as I was thinking about this story uh, this week, as I was thinking about waiting, there's this picture in the Gospels, in Matthew's Gospel, where we hit with the, and it kept coming to my mind, so this morning I was like, yeah, I better put it in there. It's one of those things. Uh, So it comes to us from Matthew 14. The backstory to this. Jesus had just fed the uh, 5,000 people. And then afterwards, he's a bit tired. That's a lot of people to cook for. And so he he sends the disciples away. And then he goes to the mountain to pray. And it says this in verse uh, 22. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from shore. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Is it a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. There's a few observations I want to make here. Just a couple observations and we'll be done. When the disciples were in the boat being being pounded by the waves, what was Jesus doing? Different story. What was Jesus doing here? Praying. In Hebrews, it tells us this, that we have a high priest in Christ who is praying for us in the middle of our trials. He is interceding on our behalf. When the waves were pounding against the disciples, I believe that Jesus was praying just for them at that moment. Can't prove it in the text, but I think Jesus knew exactly what his disciples were doing and they crossed his mind. Second observations. When the disciples, they thought, when they thought they were going to die, what was Jesus doing? Walking towards them. When we think we're about to die, when we think that we've been abounded, we're going to drown, where's Jesus? On his way. He's approaching us. And the last observation. In the middle of the disciples' fear, where was Jesus? right there with them, walking on top of their fears. They were afraid of drowning. They were afraid of water. And yet here comes Jesus using the water as a stepping stone to get right to them. In the middle of our waiting, it might feel like we're abandoned. It might feel that we're out here all by ourselves. We're going to drown in waiting. Has Jesus forgotten me? No. He's on his way. 
He's been praying for you. He's been thinking about you. And the moment you think you're going to die and you're afraid and you look beside you, he's right there with you so that we can wait well. The same for us. The disciples is true for us. We can be confident that he is with us throughout. And if we could have any reputation in the Bible, wouldn't it be cool if we were known for those who waited well for God to move? And those who waited for God to move, and when he showed up, we instantly jumped on whatever God was doing. This is a fantastic reputation to have because in our middle of our waiting, we're not abandoned. God is with us at that very, very moment. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you never leave us, you don't abandon us, and you send us, and then you go with us. God, in our seasons of waiting, whether we're waiting for a move, whether we're waiting for a house, whether we're waiting for a spouse, whether we're waiting for a diagnosis, whatever we are waiting for, God, may you meet us in the middle of that waiting. May we be reminded of what your voice sounds like so that when you speak again, we know it. I know that voice. May you give us the discipline to memorize what your voice sounds like. May you give us the discipline to be listening and to be present. And God, may we never stop expecting. May we never give up hope. May we never lose sight of your witness. And so with wide eyes and open ears, may we watch for you to come up our driveway. And maybe when we see you, may we respond in worship. In Jesus' name.